Psalm 73 says this, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Ever feel like that? I'm almost gone. About to slip. He says, For I was envious of the foolish when I saw this prosperity of the wicked. Sometimes we look at the world around us and we're envious. We're jealous of them. Boy, they seem to have a lot better than us. He says, For there are no bands in their debt, but their strength is firm. For they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Sounds like the same day and age we live in, doesn't it? They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? People looking, what is the point of God? Is there anything really? Why does he matter? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. He's saying, all of this that I've done to follow God, it's not been worth anything. That's his way of looking at it. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went unto the sanctuary. Then understood I therein. I love what Proverbs says at the beginning that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to understand a bit of what's going on? Fear the Lord. You want to have some perspective on what's going on around you? Follow God. Fear Him. Then He says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. You see his progression here? He looks at the world around him, and he's frustrated, he's discouraged. That all the problems, it seems like all the wicked people are getting ahead. And here the righteous man is going through hard times. He says, and God now is pricking his heart. He says, so foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast held me by my right hand. Aren't you thankful that God is continually with us? Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. 
that's reality, isn't it? But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. That's what we're trying to do this week, isn't it? Draw near to God. Scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Amen. I love the word of God and so thankful for the encouragement that it is to us. And I know we're going to be encouraged by the word of God tonight and be challenged by it. And I want to encourage you again tonight. Don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers also. Amen. The Bible says that we're just a hearer and not a doer. The Bible says we deceive our own selves. It's bad enough to lie to somebody else, but to lie to yourself. To deceive yourself into thinking that you're better than you really are, or to deceive yourself into thinking that you're okay when you're really not, that's a very bad place to live. Don't deceive yourselves by just being a hearer. Because when you hear it and you know it, you feel like, I'm okay. I've got this. But you're not okay. You need to do it. You need to obey it. Follow what God says. I'm glad to be here tonight. Let's open in a word of prayer. Then we're going to have some songs to sing. And a special. Brother Eric's going to sing for us. His wife, Alice, will play the piano. And then after he's done singing, boys and girls, you can be dismissed right now. Taylor, you come preach. We'll just keep this service with us right along tonight. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you that we can come together, hear your word preached, spend time singing some songs, hear the word of God. Lord, we need to hear it today. Lord, not only do we need to hear it, but we need to do it. We need to obey. We need to follow you. I pray that you work in our hearts tonight. Continue to revive us, and strengthen us, and encourage us so that we can follow you faithfully. We live in a dark world. We live in an evil place. Lord, that really hasn't changed throughout all of history. And as we look back through your word, as we read back in the pages of scripture, we always see that the hope of mankind is found in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, I pray that we would be pointed to you tonight, to follow you in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to dismiss the young people. Going with Eric. How many thankful well, God's got a plan for your life? Aren't you thankful Amen. for that? Amen. And God didn't put you here to live your life with a ping pong ball and just go from one place to another. Uh, God has a plan for your life. It'll be a good day in your life. You embrace that and surrender to it. And boy, a lot of young people here tonight. Isn't that a blessing to see? And I sure appreciate you being here tonight. And I know some of you, a real unusual, be in church on a Monday night. And I appreciate you being here. I know some of you, from the second you got up this morning and walked out the door, it was just go, go, go. Busy, busy, busy all day long. And so I'm uh, thankful that you're here tonight. So, But also know sometimes it's hard to come to church and kind of shift gears a little bit as well. And so I just want to encourage you tonight, if you carry any kind of distractions or burden with you in the back door, I want to try to lay those aside tonight. And I want you to receive everything in your heart and mind that God wants you to receive tonight. I don't want you to miss anything. And so again, I thank you for being here with us. We have Luke chapter 11 tonight. Luke chapter number 11. And we spent some time in Psalm chapter 1 last night. 
And we talked about if God's going to bless our life, we've got to get the world and sit out, and we got to put the Word back in. And so I trust that you spent time in the Word today and made that a habit and a pattern of your life. And uh, but tonight we're going to preach on the subject of prayer. I think it'll be an encouragement to you. And if you came tonight in need of encouragement, you came on the right night. Amen. You said, I didn't know evangelists had messages of encouragement. I have one, and this is it. Okay? And so I'm glad you came tonight to receive it. And uh, as we travel, people ask me all the time, they say, where is your dad pastor? And they think just because I was a preacher, that my dad was a preacher, that was not the case. And growing up, uh, we were not blue collar, black collar, we were ring around the collar. Amen. <laughs> for the people. And my dad was a railroad man, but he also owned, owned a uh, lawnmower repair shop part time. Still does today, and does that in the spring and summer. And so growing up, I've seen hundreds of lawnmowers come in and out of that repair shop, and every lawnmower that I've ever seen has one thing in common. Every lawnmower has two speeds, rabbit and turtle. Who knows what I'm talking about? And when God called me to preach, I think he put me in a rabbit. So I'm going to try to uh, kick it down a few gears tonight so that you can keep up with me. Uh, bear with me sometimes. I just can't help but to get excited, okay? And so Luke chapter 11 tonight, and the Bible says in verse number 1, and I want to preach on the subject of prayer tonight, if that's all right with you. And I remember hearing a preacher say this one time. He said, I never heard a message on prayer that I didn't need. And when I heard that, I had to say amen to that. Isn't that true? And so I've heard that it'll be the case for you tonight as well. Luke chapter 11, verse number 1. And it came to pass that as he, that was Jesus, was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, that is our request here tonight as well. I pray that you would teach us to pray. Lord, there's folks in this room that's been saved for many, many years now. Lord, I pray that you would revive their prayer life. Lord, there's folks in here that have been saved only a couple of weeks and only a couple of months. And I pray that you would ignite their prayer life tonight. Lord, speak to each and every heart. I pray that you would meet the needs of every heart that is here tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would save the one that is nearest to hell as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I was preaching in the city of Roswell, New Mexico. That's where the aliens are. Amen. Just kidding. And uh, I had an afternoon off, and I was trying to kill some time, and I had a little book with me. And so it was a little mini book. It was a biography about a woman whose name was Alma. So I took this little mini book about Alma to a coffee shop there in town. And that afternoon, I was going to sit down and read that book. That's what I did. I read through that. And Alma was a prayer warrior. I mean, this woman knew how to get a hold of the ear of God. It seemed like everything she prayed for, God answered for her in her life. And so this short little book contains story after story of answer to prayer Alma had received in her life. One of those stories I still remember today was when Alma uh, had, had, when her grandsons were born, she had such a burden to see them called into the ministry that she began to pray every day. God called them boys to the ministry. God called them boys to the ministry. Well, when those boys became teenagers, and God not only answered her prayer and called them into the ministry, he also called them into the ministry of full-time evangelism. And today, Jim and John Van Geldren crisscross our country, preaching revivals and preaching evangelism. And I'm telling you, as I, I, I sat there in that Starbucks and read story after story of answering a prayer, I started to have a revival right there in Starbucks. Amen. Hey, I don't know about you, but when I hear stories like that, it makes me want to have stories like that. Amen. Yeah. But the next one I had was convicted. I thought if somebody had to write a book about my prayer life and record all the stories of answering a prayer that I had received, I thought to myself, I wonder how many pages that book would be. And at that point, my heart was convicted, and I was embarrassed, and I bowed my head right there in Starbucks, and I said, Lord, by your grace, I want to have some stories of my own. Isn't that your heartbeat tonight? Don't you want to have some stories? I want to preach on this subject tonight in Luke 
chapter 11, prevailing in prayer. Prevailing in prayer. Notice with me, number one, tonight, a private moment. A private moment in verse number one. The Bible says that it came to pass as he, that as he was praying in a certain place. Here in verse number one, the disciples, it appears to me, they walked up and they found Jesus praying. Now, if you've ever read the Gospels, I think you'll agree with me. This is probably not the first time this had happened. Probably not the second or third time this had happened, because all throughout the Gospels, oftentimes you'll find Jesus breaking away from everything else and everyone else and getting into a private place and spending time in prayer. In fact, I think of Mark 1.35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, Jesus departed, went to a solitary place, and there prayed. Hey, that was his pattern. That was his testimony. And can I say by way of application tonight, that ought to be your testimony, and that ought to be your pattern as well. Every day of your Christian life, you want to break away from everything else and everyone else and get alone with God. Well, I read throughout the Bible, I read through the Old Testament, and folks like Dana, uh, Dana, help us, Daniel, I think about Hannah, I think of these people who spent time over prayer warriors throughout the Old Testament. I come to the a New Testament, the book of Acts, and read about the early church, and when I read about them spending time with God in prayer, that encourages me to spend time with God in prayer. But I tell you what encourages me more than all that is when I also come to the Bible, I find that God has a desire to spend time with me. Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You say, Preacher, I thought that was a verse used for Jesus knocking in the heart door, wanting to be your Savior. And if a preacher wanted to use it that way, that's fine with me. But you study out the context of Revelation chapter 3, and the door that Jesus was knocking on was the door of a church saved people. He said, I'm going to come and sup with you. I'm going to fellowship yeah. with you. I'm going to share a meal with you. I just want to spend some time with you. And friend, the truth is, God wants to spend time with you. The question is, do you want to spend time with him? Dry tonight on a Monday night of revival, you are as close to God as you want to be. James 4 says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. You say, preacher, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. I'm not as close to God as I'd like to be. I've come to tell you tonight, God wasn't the one that moved. You're as close to God as you want to be. Oh, every day of our lives, there ought to be a time when we break away from everything else and spend time with the Lord in prayer. And if that's going to happen tonight, I see from our text, you're going to, you need a place. You need a place. Well, Luke 11, 1 says that he went to a certain place. Mark 135 says he departed to a solitary place. Here's the point. Jesus would go to a special place, sometimes a secret place, a secluded place, and get alone with the, with the Heavenly Father. That's he was not the only one throughout Scripture that had a place. I think of Daniel. He had a place. Uh, Daniel chapter 6. The Bible says that Daniel, knowing that the writing of signs, went up to his chamber and opened up the windows and knelt upon his knees and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. I think of Elijah, First Kings chapter 17. The widow's son dies and she, he scoops the boy up. The Bible says he went up into his loft. He laid the boy out on the bed and two times it says he cried unto the Lord. He cried unto the Lord. Daniel had a place. Jesus had a place. Elijah had had a place, where's your place at? Preacher, was preaching on prayer one time. He said, the hard thing about prayer, the Bible says, when you enter into a prayer closet, shut the door. He said, the hardest thing about prayer is removing yourself from all the distractions. Have you found that to be true in your life? Can I say this tonight? You need a place that you can go to where you can turn the television off. 
where you can turn this device off right here, where you can turn the Facebook off and the video games off, where you can turn the kids off, somebody say amen right there, and break away from everything else and give along with God. So let me ask you a question tonight, where's your place at? Where's the place that you spend with God every day? You say, preacher, I don't have a place like that. I don't have a place like Daniel. I don't have a place like Jesus. I don't have a place like Elijah. Then let me put, put my arm around you tonight as your friend and encourage you to find a place and say, this is my sacred place. Hey, this is my sacred place. This is the place where I meet with God every day. Number one, we see a private moment. Number two, would you notice? A powerful motivation as well. A powerful motivation. Verse number one, he goes on to say, uh, after uh, Jesus finishes praying, the, the disciples, one of them speaks up, and he says, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, would you notice he did not say, Lord, teach us how to pray? You can read it. He didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. The fact of the matter is, he knew how to pray. You know how to pray, and I know how to pray. If you can talk, would you raise your hand? Ladies, I'm raise both hands. Thank you very much. Just kidding. Just kidding. If you raise your hand, then you can pray because prayer is talking to God. He didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. I was born and raised in, in, in a Christian home and in church. I was saved as an eight-year-old boy. I got called to preach when I was 17 years old. I grew up hearing messages on prayer. I went to a Bible college. I took an entire semester class on the subject of prayer. Uh, I, I, I read books by Eon Bounds and Little Raven Hill and all the rest of them. Here's what I'm saying tonight. This preacher does not struggle with how to pray. This preacher struggles to pray. And, it's, and if you get honest with yourself tonight, that's exactly where you're at as well. He didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, I like this disciple. I don't know who it was, but I like him. I mean, think about it. Here's a man, a close follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, when it came to the public ministry of Jesus, this man had a front row seat and watched the miracles with his own eyes. With his own ears, he heard Jesus preach and see people be born again. He saw the blind receive their sight. He saw people be raised back from the dead. I mean, with his own eyes on the front row, he watched the public ministry of Jesus Christ. But I believe when he walked in on that private moment that day, I believe he began to connect the dots between the public and the private. And can I say this tonight? If you ever expect to be much more God in public, you better learn to be much with God yeah. in private because that is where the power is. Yeah. I think one time I read a book or a biography of a man or a woman that was greatly used with God who did not have a deep, intimate, personal prayer life with God and neither will you. You want to be an effective witness for God? You better learn to pray. You want to be an effective Sunday school teacher for God one day? It's going to be a day more prayer than just your walk from the pickup to the Sunday school classroom on Sunday morning. Come on, gal. We've got to learn to pray. Amen. I only understand if all your pastor did was study for his messages and write them out and would stand up here on Sunday mornings and just preach his messages but never prayed over the messages. How many understands the preaching would lack some power? Well, I said that we understand that when it comes to folks in the pulpit, there's a disconnect when it comes to folks in the pew. Do you realize that you need God's power just as much as he does? Amen. Well, I love myself, but then I, I praise God for free upgrades. Amen. I love this. And you can imagine as we travel week to week, this is my lifeline on the road. I mean, phone calls, text messages, my calendar, my itinerary, my email, candy crushing, all the important stuff is done right here. Amen. But you watch me about three quarters of the day uh, through the day, you're gonna find me frantically searching for a power outlet and a charger. You say why? Because this device is not effective unless every once in a while it gets connected to the power source. And if you and I are gonna be effective servants for the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to stay. 
stay connected to the power source, and that takes place through prayer. And I'll say tonight, if you're sending the verse in the Bible that told us to pray, the very fact that Jesus Christ prayed ought to be enough to drive us back to our knees tonight. If he couldn't afford to make without prayer, what do you think you can? Lord, teach us to pray. To make one more observation, I think this old boy got stirred up. You need a translator for that in Houston? I said he got stirred up. You say, what does that mean? I think he had, the, the, the society, I think he was close enough to Jesus, and I think he had heard Jesus preach, uh, pray, and then I think he saw the very answers to Jesus' prayer come to pass. I think he sat around in testimony services with other disciples, and boy, they raised their hands and uh, tell answered uh, uh, testimonies of, uh, of answer a prayer that, that they had experienced. But I think he finally got to the place in his life where he said, "I'm tired of hearing stories like that, and it's about time that I have some stories like that." Amen. And I want to say tonight that you're going to get to that place in your life as well. I said you're going to get to that place in your life as well, where you say, "I appreciate my pastor and his stories of answer a prayer. I appreciate uh, the missionary." that come through and tell us their stories of answer the prayer. I appreciate the crazy evangelists that come through and tell us their stories of answer the prayer, but it's about time that I have some stories of my own. So let me ask you tonight as your friend, do you have any? Now I would never do this as your friend and please do not speak out loud, but I wonder tonight if I were to call you on the carpet right here in front of everyone in front of your entire church and would say, would you please take this microphone tonight and in front of your entire church tonight, would you please tell us the last time that God answered a specific prayer in your life? What would you say? Well, I'm concerned a lot of us would stand up here and there would be a long, awkward, silent pause because some of us cannot remember the last time that God answered a single prayer in our life. Let me ask you a question. Does that bother you? Because it ought to. Listen, we all, we all go through seasons of our life and we wake up one day and think, my soul, I can't remember the last time God answered a prayer for me. And when that day comes for you and that day comes for me, that ought to bother us enough to drive us back to our knees and back to a prayer closet and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Look, and if all you want have the Christian life to show up and sit in the pew three times a week, then help yourself. But if you want God to be ruling your life and you want to know his provision and his power, I'm telling you, you've got to learn to pray. Amen. I'm not trying to be unkind tonight, but I'm looking around the room. There's some folks in here that are in the sunset of your life. And when you get to this point in your life and you've got kids, grandkids, some of you great-grandkids, at this point in your life, you ought to be able to get those kids and grandkids and great-grandkids around and say, let me tell you some stories. Let me tell you some stories when we and Papa had our backs up against the wall and when there was nowhere else to turn to and there was no way out and so we had to end the stress, get down and cry out to God. But God came through and God provided and God made a way when there was no way and God was real in our lives. I want to have some stories like that. I want God to be real in my life. If all you want is to sit in the pew and let people come through and tell you their stories of uh, answer to prayer and how God's been real in their life, then help yourself. But I'm not content to just listen to everybody else's stories. I'm not content to just hear stories. I'm going to have some stories. Amen. And that's going to happen. We've got to learn to pray. Number one, we see a private moment. Number two, we see a powerful motivation. And lastly, number three, we see a prevailing method. We see a prevailing method. This is the heart of my message tonight. Essentially, he was saying, Lord, teach us the secret getting our prayers answered. And so in verse number five, he does just that. And here's what's going to happen. Jesus
make a point. Now, if you miss the story, you'll miss the point. So see what it says here in verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from them, that's the neighbor, shall answer and say, Oh, trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Verse 8. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give them, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, that's the key to the passage right there. If you mark your Bible, you should have circled that, that big 50 cent word right there, importunity. He will rise and give them as many as he needeth. Here's the instant replay. Some of you have zoned out. I know. This man's asleep in his bed, sound asleep, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, he hears this on the front door. He gets up out of his bed. He stumbles down the hallway. He turns on the porch light, looks at the peephole. That's in the Greek, but it's there. And he sees a friend that he hadn't seen. It's a, a friend that showed up on his doorstep. So he opens the door and greets his friend. And, uh, oh, it wasn't unusual for people to show up in the middle of the night. In that part of the world, because of the heat during the day, folks would travel during the nighttime. So he shows up at midnight. And so the man says, going inside. Let me take care of you. And he goes to the cupboards and cabinets and opens them up and realizes there's like one stitch of food in that entire house. I mean, there's no outdated ramen. There's no can with a label falling off in the back of the pantry. I mean, there's no food in the house. He begins to panic. You need to understand this. In Bible times, if someone came to stay with you and you were not a good host to them, you could bring disgrace to your entire city and village. All of a sudden, he begins to panic. How many would agree tonight that he had a crisis? Didn't the text say that it took place at midnight? So can we safely say tonight that this man had a crisis in the midnight hour of his life? You live long enough. You're going to have one too. But you know what you're going to find in that night? You're going to find what this man found. God's not just the God of the daytime. He's also the God of the nighttime. Amen. All of a sudden the light bulb goes off and, and he, 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 he remembers what he said. My neighbor has food. So in the middle of the night, I'm not making this up. You can read it for yourself. In the middle of the night, he goes across the street and starts rattling his neighbor's screen door. Finally, the neighbor wakes up. The man goes to the spiel. He says, I need to borrow some bread. The neighbor says, I'm sorry, I cannot help you. And he gives him two reasons why. He said, number one, the door is locked. And by the time the locks were time consuming to lock and unlock, he said, the door is already shut. He said, number two, the children are with me in bed. And by the times, everybody slept in the same room. How would you like that, Mom and Dad? What a blessing. Uh, so he said, if I get up, I'll like all the house up. So for those two reasons, I cannot get you what you need. Let me say this tonight, and some of you may not understand what I'm about to say, but you will eventually. When you find yourself praying for something for a prolonged period of time, there will be reasons and difficulties that will arise for why that prayer cannot be answered. And when those come, that's not the time to give up. That's not the time to quit praying. That ain't the time to go back to the house. Come on now. I'm talking about there's going to be reasons why that prayer cannot be answered. And so his first answer was a no. Sean Phillips, the commentator, said this about prayer. He said, God's delays are not God's denials. In other words, the first time that you come to God and ask him for something, the first or second time, and he doesn't answer the first or second time, that does not mean that God does not want you to answer your prayer. So the Bible says that this man had the importunity. You say, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he went back home. It doesn't mean that he gave up. It doesn't mean that he threw the towel in. But he went right back to that man's door again. And like a relentless bulldog, he started knocking again. He said, oh, sir, i got to have some bread tonight. 
paid for. I gotta have some bread tonight. And he knocked over and over and over again until finally the man on the inside couldn't take it no more. And he said, Here, take as much bread as you need. Here's what I'm saying tonight. The secret to getting your prayers answered is to pray until you get your prayers answered. You say, you set us up all that time, that's the best you have for us? What's the next verse? It goes on to say in verse 9, And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now listen, I am not a Greek scholar, but the Greek scholars tell me that the verb tense of those words in that verse, in that verse says, that means to ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And that man's prayer is going to get answered. Now, preacher, you sound like that woman preacher I watch on television. Oh, watch it now. I'm not, I'm not preaching that name and claiming nonsense, and that's exactly what it is. And the last phrase in verse number 8 does away with all of that nonsense. Notice the last phrase in verse 8. And will give him as many as he needed. God promised to provide your needs, not your greeds. But I don't know about you, he's giving me a whole lot of greeds to me. You say, is this like one little isolated, obscure text in the Bible? Or is there like others that teach that the way to get your prayers answered is just to keep on knocking? Luke chapter 18 tonight, please. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. I'll read for you as you're hearing as you turn there. Luke 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faith, saying, There was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Someone came to deal with me one day and said, Doesn't it bother God that we continually come to him? D.L. Moody replied and said, no, the way to bother God is not to come at all. Some of you are bothering God. Matthew Henry said regarding Luke chapter 11, he said, we prevail with men for importunity because they are displeased with it, but we prevail with God for importunity because he is pleased with it. And Charles Spurgeon said in answering the prayer, maybe all the longer on his voice because it's carrying a heavier freight of blessing. And I've found in my life the things I've prayed the longest for, when God finally answered those prayers, those are the things that are most precious to me in my life. Amen. I remember sitting in a teen Sunday school class, and in fact, Brother Earl walked in that day. He was here not long ago, Brother Earl Sides, my youth pastor. And he walked in that morning and he said, Young people, I want to challenge you right now. Start praying for your spouse. I was 17 years old. I couldn't even shave. I'm 30. I still can't shave. I'm still Well, I didn't have any more sense to just do what he told me to do. So when I was 17, I started praying every day. I got, I don't know where she's at. I don't know who she is, but I prayed that she would walk with you. And, and be holy, and I pray that at your appointed time, you would intersect our paths. I prayed that all through high school. I prayed that all through college. I graduated from college, still wasn't married, thought I was doing. I kept on praying. I was, I was traveling for a Bible college, and one day went to a church in Batesville, Arkansas. I walked in through the, uh, through, through the front doors, and the assistant pastor greeted us, and I knew him from college, and he looked at me and said, hey, man, you dating anybody? I said, it's on the prayer list. He said, I'll be right back. He went around the corner. The church had a daycare, and a few moments later came back with a short, brown-haired young lady and said, this is Jessica. 365 days later, she came walking down the church aisle, and we got married. This year celebrated six years of marriage. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes you just got to keep on praying. Amen? 
boy, as we go from church to church, uh, people, uh, people, God's people are so gracious, aren't they? They'll come to me on that last question, how in the world did you get her? Amen. <laughs> and honestly, well, has every man get a test here to go by? I think, well, out of our lead. Uh, but I think the reality, listen, it, I, this did not get her. Amen. <laughs> I think, but I do think in reality, God did honor some praying in that situation. You say, what, what are you trying to say, Brother Taylor? I'm saying sometimes the only way to get your prayers answered is just to keep on knocking. You say, if I like had to go home and, and put like, uh, if you had to put it in a nutshell tonight what this truth is all about, how would you say it? I would say it this way. Those who persist in prayer prevail in prayer. Here's what you need to understand tonight. Not every prayer that you pray is going to be answered the first time that you pray. And those of you that have just been saved for a couple weeks and months, you need to get that in your crawl tonight. Not every prayer that you pray is going to be answered the first time that you pray it. You say, Brother Tad, man, I've read this passage a couple of times, and it seems to me that Jesus is comparing God to a crouchy, reluctant neighbor that does not want to answer my prayer. No, you missed it. He's comparing the lesser to the greater. He's saying if a crouchy, reluctant neighbor is willing to meet the needs of a neighbor who, who knocks with opportunity, how much more will a loving Heavenly Father meet the needs of his children who pray with opportunity? That is the point of the passage. Look at here. Here's what I'm saying tonight. Anybody can pray for something on a Monday. Most everybody in this room can pray again on a Tuesday if that prayer hadn't been answered on Monday. Most of us here can muster up enough faith to pray again on a Wednesday. But boy, come Thursday, that prayer still hadn't been answered. All of a sudden, discouragement starts seeping in, and faith starts seeping out. And come Friday, that prayer hadn't been answered, and we've been thrown in the towel, and we have given up. How many times have you, you said this and I've said it too? We prayed, we prayed for something once or twice and God didn't answer it right away. And so we say something like this. Well, I guess it just wasn't the will of God. Friend, it may have been his will if we weren't so lazy in our prayer lives. So let me ask you tonight as I close her down here. What, what is your need? What is your need tonight? For some of you, you have a lost loved one in your family, a friend, a co-worker. You say, preacher, I have been witnessing to them, and I have been praying for them, and they haven't been saved yet. I come to tell you, you better not stop praying. Amen. Some of you tonight have grown kids, and some are lost. Some are out of the will of God. They're in the far country, like the prodigal son tonight. I come to tell you, you better not give up on those kids. Prodigal will still come home. It may be a marriage need. Well, it's real easy for us church folks to come to church and put a plastic smile on our face and pretend everything's okay. But for some of you tonight, the reality is your marriage is cold as ice. You say, well, where do we begin tonight? Well, right here on this altar would be a real good place to start tonight. One of you two better learn to pray with opportunity. What's your need? I'm saying according to Luke chapter 11, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Sometimes you're just going to keep on talking. I give you a story and I'll be done. My wife and I were married in her hometown of Batesville, Arkansas, the redneck capital of the world. <laughs> and uh, we got married. I had been an intern there and we got married. We had about two or three months left before we moved to California and I became a representative for Bible College out there. For the two to three months that we had left, her a pastor rented us an apartment and then the church members let us borrow furniture for the time that we were there. And so finally, the two to three months came and went, and so we gave the, all the furniture back. We, I gave the keys back to the apartment uh, manager there, and uh, we packed everything that we owned into my, my Chevy and Paul. 
Folks, that's sad when everything you own to your name fits in this Chevy Impala, but we did. Moved all the way across the country to California. I was there for, for one week. At the end of that week, we picked up a singing tour group, and we hit the road all summer long. So since I was gone all summer, there was no need for me to rent a house and rent an apartment. We just took off. Well, about halfway through the summer, uh, my wife says, we need a place to live when we get back. So I got on the, uh, on the uh, phone, and I found an apartment. I signed the lease over the phone. That apartment was waiting for us in August when we got back. After that, she says, now we need a place to live, and so we need, we need furniture. And so I got on the phone. I called the secretary of the college. Her name is Nicole. I said, Nicole, we're new on staff here. If you know of anybody who has any furniture they can sell us for cheap, we'd be glad to buy it. She said, okay, I'll look around. The next day, she called back. She said, hey, there's another secretary here. She has a bed. She'll sell you for $100. I said, sold. We'll take it. Well, the summer came and went. We finally got back. I got the keys to the apartment. I opened it up. It was as bare and as empty. I said, we have at least got to have somewhere to sleep tonight. I called that secretary up. I said, we're back in town. I said, we'd like to come pick up and pay for that bed. At that point, she informed me that she sold it to someone else. Sold it right out from under us. I said, well, praise him. I didn't say that. But I thought, what in the world are we going to do? At that point, we had two friend, uh, some friends across town, Ryan and Angie Sams, and they had two air mattresses. Anybody ever slept on an air mattress, you know the joy. Went across town, picked them up, brought them back. There was two of them, they were identical. Same size, same shape, same color, identical. Except for one thing, one of them had a leak in it. Well, that leads to the next big question. Who's going to have to sleep on the busted mattress? And that night, my wife and I didn't have a fight. We just had some heated fellowship. Hey, Kim, back and forth. You're going to sleep here with sleep? I mean, I tried to get the Bible. I'd say, why is it yourself to your husband? <laughs> that went over like a ham sandwich in a synagogue, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can imagine who ended up on the busted mattress that night. I'm sorry, it ain't lasting half the night. I'm working this morning bad. Words. I said, Lord, I'm not asking for a fancy bed. I said, well, we're just going to have a bed. One week went by. Back was hurting. Prayer life was reviving. Amen. <laughs> well, two weeks went by. Every day, Lord, we need a bed. Lord, we need a bed. The next day, a lady walked into the college office. No one had ever seen her before. She had a piece of paper in her hand. She walked into Nicole's office. She said, hello, I live here in the city. And she said, I have this bed in my house, and if someone will come and pick it up, I will give it to them for free. The picture she had on that piece of paper was the picture of a $4,000 California King slave bed with a pillow top mattress. <laughs> called me. She said, she told me what had happened. She said, would you like to have it? I said, let me pray about it. Yes, I'd like to have it. <laughs> and two strapping boys. They went across town. They picked it up. They brought it back. They carried it up to our second story apartment. They got that bed set up in that room. And I'm telling you, it's the biggest bed you've ever seen in your life. My little wife has to get a running start just to get on top. It gets massive. <laughs> As you can imagine, it's not often we get the pillow or heads in that bed at night, but whenever I do, I can't help but to think to myself, unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I ask or think. And I come to tell you on a Monday night of revival that if God's going to answer your prayers, you've got to learn to pray with him opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for being a prayer answering God. The 
heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, if you're here as a preacher, there's been a name on my prayer list and a burden on my heart for a long time. And I've been praying and praying and praying. And God hasn't answered that prayer yet. And I'm starting to get discouraged. Would you pray for me that I would not stop praying? If that's you, would you lift your hand up tonight and pray for you? The Bible says, be not weary and well doing, you keep on knocking. I'll never forget standing in the lobby of a church in Marriott, Ohio on a Sunday night. A woman came to me after the service and said, Brother Taylor, I want you to know I prayed for 25 years before my husband ever got saved. Those who persist in prayer prevail in prayer. If you hear tonight and say, Preacher, there was a time in my life when I met the Lord in that place. Hey, that place every day. And I would share with him the burdens of my heart and I would just tell him that I loved him. I've gotten away from that place. Tonight God spoke to my heart, and I need to get back to that place. If that's you tonight, would you raise your hand? Would you raise me? I need to get back. Yes. Thank you, Lord. I wonder if there's one among us who would say, Preacher, I appreciate the story you told tonight. I appreciate the stories my pastor tells and others give testimony of telling. But the burden of my heart is not just to hear those stories, but to have those stories. Preacher, would you pray for me that God would be real in my life as well? If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'll have some stories of my own. My hand's uplifted. <clears throat> if you're here tonight and say, Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. Can I say this? He's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful Father. And being a child of uh, uh, prayers is one of the privileges of being a child of God. If you're here tonight and say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm a child of God. Oh, I know I'm his creation, but I don't know I'm his child. I don't know that I've ever asked you to be my personal Savior. I, I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die, preacher. If that's you, would you say, remember me in prayer tonight? If that's you, would you lift up your hands and right back now? I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. Pray for me. Pray for me. Lord, I pray that you bless this time of invitation tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher.